This is Dr. Baliga here. Today's podcast is on immune checkpoint inhibitor cardiotoxicity. Key sources for this podcast include acc.org, expert analysis by Drs. Dino Valentin Belenescu, Dr. Theodora Donison, Dr. Nicholas Palaskas, and, and Dr. Cesar Ilescu, MD, published on acc.org on June 24, 2019, titled Emerging Concerns in Cardio-Oncology, Immune Checkpoint Inhibitor Cardiotoxicity. 2018 with an original investigation titled Myocarditis in Patients Treated with Immune Checkpoint Inhibitors. Lead authors were Dr. Sahed Mahmood, Dr. Michael Fradley, Dr. Justin Cohen, Dr. Anji Noria, Dr. Kerry Reynolds, and 10-15 other authors, and the senior author was Dr. Thomas G. Nealon. The third source was also from acc.org, published in January 31, 2019. It was titled Dyspnea with Checkpoint Inhibition, a Kaleidoscope of Issues, authored by Dr. Joshua Mitchell, MD, and Dr. Daniel Lenihan, MD. The fourth source was from Circulation. It was a white paper regarding adjudicating myocarditis in clinical trials, published in Circulation 2019, Volume 140, pages 80 to 91. It's an outstanding uh, uh, document. Uh, with the lead author being Dr. Mark Banaka, MD, and the senior author being Dr. Javed Moslehi, MD. In addition, there were two important letters in the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'll be discussing each one of these uh, in this podcast today. The use of immune checkpoint inhibitors has significantly increased in the recent years. In 2018, the Nobel Prize in Physiology and Medicine was awarded jointly to Drs. James Allison and Dr. Tosuku Onjo for their discovery of chemotherapy by inhibition of negative immune regulation, that is immune checkpoint inhibition. This leads to the activation of the immune system against the patient's cancer cells. In the last seven years, a total of seven different Immune checkpoint inhibitors have been approved by the FDA, including PD-1 or programmed cell death protein 1 inhibitors, and these include anti-PD-1 antibodies, for example, nivolumab, pembrolizumab, semipilimab. The, the next uh, category is PD-L1 or programmed cell death ligand 1 inhibitors, and these include anti-PD-L1 antibodies etizolizumab, evolumab, and durvalumab. In the second category is CTLA-4 or cytotoxic T-lymphocyte associated antigen 4 inhibitors. The anti-CTLA-4 antibodies include ipilimumab with several more therapies awaiting approval. Increasingly, immune checkpoint inhibitors are being used in combination for example, nivolumab is used in combination with ipilimumab, and this combination is being assessed in other upcoming clinical trials. Activation of these, of these autoreactive T cells damaging host tissues are resulting in adverse events in several organs, including the heart, colon, liver, lungs, pituitary, thyroid, skin, and other organs. 
cardiovascular immune related adverse events, particularly myocarditis, are increasingly recognized. The prevalence of myocarditis has been reported between 0.6% and 2.4% with a higher risk in combination therapy. Based on recent data, immune checkpoint inhibitor induced myocarditis can no longer be considered a rare event. Other cardiovascular manifestations include pericardial disease, vasculitis, Takasubo syndrome, destabilization of the atherosclerotic lesion, venous thromboembolism, conduction abnormalities, and cardiac arrhythmias. However, epidemiological data is sparse. An important fact to remember is the concomitant presence of other immune-related adverse events, specifically myositis and myasthenia gravis, with immune checkpoint inhibitor-associated myocarditis, may further raise the suspicion of immune checkpoint inhibitor-associated myocarditis. The success of, of these agents has propelled the introduction of other means of enhancing immune response. In 2019, Immuno-oncological therapies include a broad range of agents, including antibodies, adjuvant therapies, vaccines, cytokines, modified antibodies, and cellular therapies. Genetically engineered T-cells, whereby the specificity of T-cells are augmented. The use of gene transfer techniques represent an, an effective and important new class of therapy. Chimeric antigen receptors redirecting the specificity Function and metabolism of T-cells have been approved for several indications. However, like, like immune checkpoint inhibitors, other forms of immune therapy can lead to cardiovascular toxicity, and these may include less specific clinical syndromes of fevers, hypotension, and hypoxia due to cytokine release syndrome. On the other hand, more specific cardiotoxicities may be observed. For example, the use of genetically modified T-cell receptors against cancer antigen or MAGE A3, melanoma-associated antigen, can lead to fatal cardiogenic shock as a result of myocarditis. Therefore, this increased proliferation of use of immune-related therapies underscores the need to better def define and understand myocardial toxicities, including myocarditis. The therapeutic mechanisms uh, used by immune checkpoint inhibitors are based on blocking either the cytotoxic T-lymphocyte-associated antigen 4, CTLA-4, or programmed cell death protein 1, PD-1 pathways. CTLA-4 and PD-1 serve as immune response inhibitors by normally suppressing the T-cell response in order to prevent autoimmunity and maintain T-cell tolerance. Therefore, combination of CTLA-4 and PD-1 antagonists lead to a synergistic effect, providing dual blockade of T-lymphocyte inhibition. Cardiac immune-related adverse events appear more frequently in patients treated with CTLA-4 antagonists compared with PD-1 inhibitors. And the risk indeed increases with combination therapy. The development of cardiac immune-related adverse events in patients treated with combination therapy leads to discontinuation of immune checkpoint inhibitors in up to 50% of the patients. 
the onset of immune checkpoint inhibitor associated myocarditis is within three months of treatment initiation in 81% of the cases with the median time of 17 to 65 days after the first dose of immune checkpoint inhibitor. The clinical syndrome associated myocarditis is broad and can encompass a spectrum of symptoms including palpitation, chest pain, acute or chronic heart failure, findings of pericarditis, pericardial effusion, shortness of breath, fatigue, myalgia, syncope, dizziness, or altered mental status. Subclinical myocarditis has also been described posing management challenges. The big four categories of investigations include EKG changes, biomarker elevations, imaging including echocardiography, cardiac MRI and possibly positron emission tomography using 18FTG. And the fourth category is endomyocardial biopsy and pathology of the biopsy sample. Almost all patients will have increased serum troponin. We should immediately trigger suspicion of immune checkpoint inhibitor associated myocarditis. When there's concomitant myositis, troponin I would be the most specific option for myocardial injury because troponin T and CK isoforms are elevated. EKG should be performed to rule out acute coronary syndrome and the changes in uh, myocarditis are non-specific and these include uh, arrhythmias, STT wave abnormalities, PR segment changes, new heart block or ectopy, atrial tachyarrhythmias, premature ventricular contractions and ventricular tachycardia. Bradyarrhythmia and heart block are seen with immune-mediated myocarditis. Echocardiography is generally the first line of imaging to assess cardiac function. But the, but the definitive imaging modality is cardiac MRI, T1 and T2 weighted sequences as well as late gadolinium enhancement sequence may reveal myocardial inflammation or necrosis. When cardiac magnetic resonance imaging results are equivocal or if the patients are not suitable for cardiac mag magnetic resonance imaging, 18FDG uh, PET scanning may be utilized. However, it's critical to use appropriate FDG uh, protocols for cardiac inflammation with an 18-hour carbohydrate-free fast to avoid false positive results. Endomyocardial biopsy remains the gold standard for diagnosis of myocarditis. The false and negative rate for endomyocardial biopsy remains high due to patchy infiltration of T cells within the myocardium. Therefore, at least six samples should be collected from different endomyocardial regions and the results should be interpreted in conjunction with cardiac MRI. Various T cell phenotypes have been observed in endomyocardial biopsies in, in cases of immune checkpoint inhibitor associated myocarditis, it's unclear whether these outcomes differ based on these phenotypes. Further research in immune profiling may identify 
certain inf inflammatory patterns and pay way towards individualized therapy and management. Although uh, myocardial biopsy and cardiac magnetic resonance imaging are the most specific tests, they're, they're challenged to obtain and resource in intensive, particularly in the setting of acute illness. Often patients with more fulminant forms of myocarditis may have complications such as unstable cardiac arrhythmias and or cardiogenic shock, and this may require a high index of clinical suspicion and empirical therapy. The first step in the management of suspected immune checkpoint inhibitor-induced cardiotoxicity is to stop therapy with immune checkpoint inhibitor inhibitors. Serum high-sensitivity cardiac troponin and BNP should be measured. An EKG and a thoracic echocardiogram should be performed. Further management will is guided by symptoms and serum troponin levels. Ideally, the patient should be admitted. In symptomatic cases, cardiac mag magnetic resonance imaging and, and cardiac catheterization with the endomyocardial biopsy are warranted. In asymptomatic cases, it's recommended that cardiac magnetic resonance imaging, if the high sensitivity troponin T is greater than 100 nanograms per liter with no other identifiable cause, cardiac catheterization and endomyocardial biopsy should be added when the high sensitivity troponin T is greater than 250 nanograms per liter. And this recommendation is based on the agreed practice at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. Ongoing research is validating this approach. When myocarditis is confirmed, serum ESR, C-reactive protein, C3 and C4 should be measured as a guide to immunosuppressive therapy. The, the treatment of myocarditis is very similar to the therapy in cardiac rejection. In, involves high-dose steroids. Treatment includes 1 to 2 milligrams of prednisone or methylprednisone in, in patients who are stable. In decompensated cases require more aggressive immunosuppressive regimens such as 1 to 2 milligrams per kilo of prednisone plus mycophenolate, antithymocyte globulin, infliximab or rituximab. In addition, plasmapheresis is an important modality to utilize in, in such cases. The role of IVIG or intravenous immunoglobulins is also not clearly been documented but is increasingly used. Further research is required to evaluate response to increased doses of glucocorticoids and the varying immunosuppression regimens mentioned the possibility of resuming immune checkpoint inhibitors after resolution of myocarditis is currently based on the severity of this immune-related adverse event and the perceived benefits versus risks from an oncologic perspective. There was a recent case report in the New England Journal of Medicine where they reported the use of batacept for severe immune checkpoint inhibitor associated myocarditis. 
this was presented in the New England Journal of Medicine 2019, volume 380, page 2377. The authors presented a case of the use of Batocept, a cytotoxic T lymphocyte associated antigen 4 agonist, which showed resolution of severe glucocorticoid refractory myocarditis that was induced by an immune checkpoint inhibitor. A 66-year-old lady with the metastatic lung cancer presented with diplopia, ptosis, and subacute painful paresis affecting the proximal muscles after she received three doses of nivol nivolumab. Subsequently, chest pain and EKG repolarization abnormalities developed and cardiac MRI imaging confirmed myocarditis. The level of troponin T was 1616 nanograms per liter and NT pro BNP was 4172 nanograms per liter. Coronary angiography showed normal arteries. The diagnostic workup was negative for anti-acetylcholine receptor and muscle-specific tyrosine kinase antibodies. And electromyography showed a myogenic disorder without neuromuscular dysfunction. Muscle biopsy revealed myositis. Despite administration of high-dose IV methylprednisolone at dose of 500 mg per day for 3 days and plasmapheresis beginning on day 7, this patient's troponin T levels increased to 6,000 ng per liter and premature ventricular contractions of 10,000 to 14,000 per day with triplets. The authors therefore administered intravenous abatacept at a dose of 500 mg every two weeks for a total of five doses, beginning on day 17 after admission. They found that the, the troponin level rapidly decreased and ventricular hyperexcitability resolved over a period of three weeks. The ejection fraction remained normal. The symptoms of myocarditis, that is cardiac arrhythmias, and that of myositis, that is muscular weakness and facial paralysis, progressively improved. The patient was discharged 7.5 weeks after admission. Cross-sectional images obtained a month after she received the first dose of abatacept showed no tumor progression. In this patient, a CTLA-4 agonist, that is abatacept, which has been approved for use in patients with rheumatic disease, was used as an antidote for life-threatening glucocorticoid refractory immune checkpoint inhibitor-induced myocarditis. Broad-spectrum immunosuppressants affect many types of immune cells and are associated with numerous adverse events. The authors say these agents have an unclear relationship with the CTL4 and programmed DEATH1, PD1 and programmed DEATH ligand1 signaling cascades. In contrast, CTLA4 agonists, that is abatacept and belatacept, inhibit CD28, B27 mediated T-cell co-stimulation at the level of the dendritic cells and thus abrogate T-cell co-stimulation upstream of CTLA-4 and the PD-1, PD-L1 pathways. Therefore, in their opinion, abatacept may lead to global T-cell energy, that is inactivation of the normal immune response with limited off-target effects and specifically reverse pathways activated by immune checkpoint inhibition. However, they caution that further evaluation of benefit-risk for the use of abatacept in immune checkpoint inhibitor-induced myocarditis 
is warranted given the possible risks of infectious complications and the effects of that promote tumor growth. The authors are Joe Elie Salem et al. from the Sorbonne University in Paris, Hopital de Paris in Paris, and Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville, Tennessee. The second case report was, was from Montreal. The lead author is Keshir Esfahani from McGill University. Other authors were from University de Montreal, Montreal, Quebec, Canada. They reported a case of almutuzumab for immune-related myocarditis due to PD-1 therapy. This uh, case report was also in, in the New England Journal of Medicine, June 13, 2019, the same issue where the earlier case report was published. They report a case of a 71-year-old woman who was being treated with first-line pembrolizumab for stage 4 melanoma. She presented with shortness of breath and ptosis after a second cycle of therapy. She had elevated concentrations of eye sensitivity troponins I and T, and cardiac MRI confirmed the diagnosis of myocarditis. She had high levels of creatinine kinase, aminotransferases, and acetylcholine receptor antibodies. EMG results confirmed the presence of myositis myasthenia gravis overlap syndrome. She was intubated because of respiratory failure and they started treating her with methylprednisone, sodium, at a dose of 1 gram per day for 3 days, followed by a dose of 2 milligrams per kilo body weight daily, and mycophenolate mofetil at a dose of 1 gram twice daily for myocarditis. She also received daily pasmapheresis for 5 days, and weekly intravenous rituximab at a dose of 375 milligrams per square meter of body surface area for the myasthenia gravis component. However, uh, despite having an initial good response to immunosuppression, she developed life-threatening cardiac arrhythmias, including sustained and non-sustained ventricular tachycardias, as well as fast paroxysmal atrial fibrillation in, alter in alteration with bradycardia and cardiac pauses, which developed 18 days later, while she was still receiving maximal immunosuppression. The cardiac arrhythmias were associated with worsening of her biochemical variables, which reflected an overall immunosuppression failure. The patient was given a single dose of 30 milligrams of alimatuzumab for a rapid cytolytic induction of immunosuppression. This therapy resulted in rapid T-cell de depletion as determined by means of flow cytometry and was associated with resolution of her arrhythmias and the normalization of biochemical and inflammatory variables. The patient was then serially weaned from rituximab, glucocorticoids, and mycophenolate mofetil over a four-week period without having a recurrence of any cardiac adverse events. No ventricular dysfunction was documented at baseline and on serial cardiac echocardiography. A follow-up positron emission tomography was obtained four months after the onset of immune-related adverse events showed a complete tumor response. Almutuzumab is a monoclonal antibody that binds to CD52, a protein present on the surface of mature lymphocytes, monocytes, macrophages, dendritic cells, natural killer cells, but not on stem cells from which these immune cells are derived. It leads to complement-mediated destruction of peripheral immune cells, which are then reconstituted from the bone marrow stem cells. It has been previously used 
to evaluate for heart transplant rejection, but data regarding its use in patients with immune-related adverse events has been limited. The authors opine that in their patient, almutuzumab led to rapid cytolytic induction or immunosuppression with resolution of cardiac immune toxic effects. These two case reports bring to our attention that the immune-mediated myocarditis can be refracted to steroid therapy and in fact may have symptoms uh, 18 to 20 days after initiation of therapy, suggesting that careful monitoring of these patients should be done. These cases highlight the compelling need for clinical vigilance for immune-related adverse events and the collaboration of cardiologists and oncologists in managing these cases. Clearly, a lot more research needs to be done. Uh, stay tuned for more podcasts on this rapidly evolving topic. Mm -hmm.